0: The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. I am one of your hosts, Mark Spencer, and it is with great pleasure and relief to be able to tell you today about all the amazing changes that have been happening around here and what you can expect from the show going forward. It's around about this time, mid-February, that marks the one-year mark for Climactic. Co-founders Rich Bowden and myself First contact each other on Facebook around this time last year, and it's been an absolute whirlwind since then. But even since that first conversation a year ago about needing a better class of climate change podcast in the world, Rich and I both saw the potential in opening up this podcast as a platform to other groups and other podcasters as well. And whereas in the early days that might have been hard to explain, I wasn't able to really get across what that concept meant, now I can just tell you what's already happened climactic is no longer just a podcast we're a podcasting collective there are now four podcasters on board for this show with myself here in melbourne another melbourneian bronwyn gresham as well maxine down in Torquay, and georgia over in sydney so going forward you'll hear not just interviews that i've done or conversations i've had with people but stories from all them as well and more and more groups are starting to get on board with the idea of sharing their stories over the podcast medium as well. So the amazing episode we had from Stop Gold Coast, that was just the first. Starting from next week's episode and then for the following weeks after that, you're gonna hear episodes from each and every one of us. And we'd absolutely love it if you could give us feedback and let us know how we're going. In some ways, we're kind of getting back to the start of climactic, getting our feet back under us. But there's a really exciting new phase and we're kind of calling it our 2.0 phase, but also a bit of a, a right time for experimentation. So your feedback has never been more important to us. And if you could let us know what you think get hello at climactic.fm or climactic show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we'd really appreciate that. What we have for you this week is actually not a climactic episode. This is an episode of era on air, which is the podcast of the Australian Institute of Refrigeration, air conditioning, and heating. But wait, don't turn it off. Come back. ERA is actually my client, and I make this podcast for them, and that's all happened because of doing this show. And I'm playing it here for you today because it is very relevant, and I also wanted to show you what I'm doing now that I won't be on Climactic each and every week. Many of you may know this already, but I've been a podcast super fan since I was 12 years old, and doing my own show was always a massive dream of mine I never really thought would happen, but looking back on the last year, it's been pretty incredible, the journey. So climactic as my first show, my baby will always have such a special place in my heart. And each and every one of you listening has made that possible. So, I'll leave you now with this story about Australia's first large scale carbon neutral housing development and ask you to check out the next few weeks episodes as they are so exciting and amazing and come from such different perspectives that i think it's really going to help climactic become this highly valuable relevant tool that we can use in the climate community to talk to anyone so thank you so much for being with us on this journey and i'm so excited to tell you that we are at a new phase and we can't wait to see what happens going forward Welcome to the fourth episode of era on air. I'm your host, Mark Spencer, and this is a podcast dedicated to pulling back the veil on HVAC and r the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration industry, a hidden industry that has an enormous impact on climate change, carbon emissions, and our daily lives. We've so far talked about net zero and big data, Last month, we also discussed retrofitting. For February, though, we're going inside a new build and bringing it back to where we began in Episode 1, the concept of net zero. If you want more information about this episode, you're in luck. This is an adaptation of the February 2019 cover story in Ecolibrium, ERA's official journal. You can find a link to the article in the show notes. You're listening to Episode 4 of ERA On Air. Less than two hours southeast of Melbourne sits one of Victoria's hidden gems, the seaside village of Cape Patterson. With its pristine beaches and small population, Cape Patterson has, for a long time, enjoyed relative anonymity compared to other Victorian coastal towns. But the development of a net-zero carbon housing estate overlooking the spectacular Bunarong Coast and Bass Strait is turning a spotlight on the region. It's called, not inexplicably, the Cape and it's the brainchild of Brendan Condon. With the CAPE, Condon's vision is to transform the site, once a hundred acres of farming land, into an example of high quality, sustainable, low or no carbon development at scale. Condon is a respected authority in the field of environmental restoration, and he's built a well-credentialed team with expertise in sustainability and modern design. We talked to the CAPE's general manager, Clint Hare, About the development, how it reaches such a high level of sustainability, and what they've done to build such a special place. So, Clint, how did you come to be involved with the Cape? What's your story up until now?
1: So, I'm a civil engineer with an environmental law background. Been interested in the environment since I was a kid and saw the connection between human behavior and the health of the planet. And when I heard about the role of the Cape, I did some research and looked into the team behind project the board and could see a really uh, solid track record of great outcomes and I thought that that needed to be the role that I took.
0: You would have sounded perfect. I mean, a civil engineer, environmental lawyer. What a combination.
1: Yeah, look, I have a background in environmental law, but I'm not a lawyer. The combination did work well. I've got quite a bit of construction experience as well as marketing, uh, campaigns, PR, that type of stuff. So it came together. It's the right sort of fit for me and uh, it's going quite well.
0: So you're the general manager of the development. What does your day-to-day actually look like, Glenn? Yeah, the day-to-day varies from day-to-day quite a lot.
1: But I work with uh, some, some very good people who help me in a lot of those areas.
0: Let's talk about the actual development, if we can, Clint. And let's start with the site. Because as we know, it's it's 100 acres of farmland that sits below this new development. You know, And in conventional, kind of up until now, unsustainable developments, that land would just be kind of seen as dirt mm-hmm. to be dug up and moved about. But this development seems to have a lot more care for the ecosystem it's part of. What was the site like before the cape began development?
1: So the cape sits in Bunurong land. We're very aware of that. Um there's a deep and uh, rich heritage and, and tradition in the area. And even before that, there was there was obviously dinosaurs there and believe it or not, Cape Patterson is where the first ever dinosaur bone was found in Australia. That's, That's incredible.
0: And yeah. I like the way you say, it. you know, obviously there was dinosaurs there before because I we honestly forget, right? Like yeah. I look at like a house being built being like, "Huh?" wonder if they're going to find a dinosaur bone in my neighbor's yard. Yeah. yeah. Like when they're building a new deck. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's it, uh, it's beyond possible. I mean, it, has, it hasn't it happened. Maybe not under a deck, but just uh, around the corner from Cape Patterson. It's called the Cape Patterson Claw. Just adjacent to our site in the early 1800s was the site of the first coal mine in Victoria. Oh, so it's really gone full circle now. It's gone full circle. Yeah, it's quite impressive The the original state coal mine is still open and it's on the this side of On the Cape Patterson side. And so it's great to see that transition from what, what served the community and, and served a lot of good in that time now to what we're doing today, which is the future, mm. renewables so what comes next? And, and, and low embodied energy. Uh, but like you say, it was a farm, it was a cattle farm for quite a few decades up until the team behind the Cape purchased it. I should say too that we try to work with the landform as it sits. I mean, there's some sand dunes in front of the site and that the site sits on are some billions of years old. I think they blew in around the last Ice Age. And preserving that landform and not doing excessive civil works gives a real nice rolling feel to the estate as well.
0: So keeping on with the site and with the non-built aspects of the Cape Clint, so quote the article in equilibrium, when completed, the development will also feature a specially designed 5,000 square metre community garden and orchard, making it one of the largest urban food gardens in Victoria. This is being irrigated by an innovative site-wide rainwater harvesting scheme that is estimated to generate... Three point two million liters of water. Now, Clint, five thousand square meters is huge. Can you help us wrap our minds around that? Is that sort of one contiguous site, or is that kind of split amongst the development a bit more? A
1: lot of the people who live in the area and who are moving to the Cape uh, are quite interested in gardening. The community garden that we've chosen is in one site, and it's in the middle of the village green, surrounded by the garden itself. Will be surrounded by orchards poultry, beekeeping, large open spaces for people to hang out and play sports, which is next to a lawn bowls club and and green um, basketball courts, future conference centre cafe, community building, a uh, big dog park so it's it's really the heart of that real big community space which is why we haven't split it up. There's plans to have about about 100 gardeners in there and they'll each have somewhere in the order of 6 square metres to garden each.
0: That's a really generous plot size.
1: It's quite a generous plot size. We want it to be you know, to work for people and some people might not uh, opt to take the full area and um, if there's uh, extra space then there's a possibility that other people can get some extra space but it's really about making it A beautiful space to hang out. We want the whole family to want to be down there and want to connect with people and and have those conversations and share food and talk about food.
0: That's amazing. That's so ambitious. It's not just a housing development, and the rest of it has to be catered to by the outside community. That's right. Yeah. And
1: one of the things that we've tried to do with that community garden is we're reserving some space in the community garden for the people in the adjacent town, Cape Addison, the old part of the town, to make sure they're drawn into the community, into that big community space in Village Green, so that there's no us and them, that it is, we're all one and we're all learning and, and hanging out with each other. Moving
0: on to the development, in broad strokes the ambition of this project is obvious, as we've just discussed, you're, you are in essence building a brand new town. To quote Brendan Condon, one of our missions at the Cape is to promote sustainable building design all over Australia, to raise the standards in the building industry, and to leave a legacy for our children. So What's being done, Clint, at the Cape that hasn't been done at this scale in Australia before?
1: It's quite a lot there. So it's probably about all of the features being combined in a cohesive way. So we have Australia and Victoria's first 10-star building and other buildings in the nines averaging over eight stars, which means a huge reduction in heating and cooling costs, and it also means a huge reduction in greenhouse gas emissions.
0: The stars Clint just mentioned in the context of the 10-star home are from the National Housing Energy Rating Scheme, or NATHERS for short. It's a performance-based rating system that describes the thermal performance of a home. It's based on a scale of 0 to 10, and put simply, the higher the star rating, the less energy is required to make the home comfortable. Theoretically, a 10-star rated house shouldn't require any artificial heating or cooling to be comfortable year-round.
1: We've tried to make sure that every single lot is connected to walking paths and walking and cycling tracks so people can get around using passive forms of transport, traffic calming throughout all of the streets. More than 50% open space is something quite different for a Greenfields developer. Usually it's 10% or less. We have stormwater harvesting and reuse is quite unique in that every home has to have 10,000 litres of rainwater storage on site. Stage one homes go one step further where overflow from their stormwater runs down to a a big 230,000-litre tank in our community garden, which then delivers all the water required for our vegetables and everything to grow in the community garden.
0: We've had a few episodes of Air On Air already, and I've spoken to some people who are quite high up in the industry and in fields such as energy efficiency and net zero energy. When they say the word demonstration, they mean a building or a section of a building, a wing of a building. It's going to be this demonstration or this pilot project. This demonstration is on the scale of, of a town. This episode of ERA On Air is brought to you by the ERA Refrigeration 2019 Conference. If you work in refrigeration, if you're interested in the HFC phase down, or if you want to find out more about the latest legislation and technology, this conference is your chance to connect with the industry. Three keynote addresses from international speakers, 25 expert talks, networking opportunities, and even more to be announced. The Refrigeration 2019 Conference coming to Melbourne 25th and 26th of March. For more information, visit era.org.au. How big will the development be when it's fully built out? It'll be 230
1: lots, and you make a good point, Mark. Sometimes we refer to it as a demonstration, simply because it is of the scale where you know, other people can't look at it and say, well, that that works when you're only doing five homes. Of course, you can design five that are... You know, super low running costs and, and comfortable year-round. But when you're doing a whole community um, with all the features that we've got and huge amounts of open space, walk-on beach access, and you know, 230 lots, which might have more than 500 people living there, it's, it's a demonstration big enough um, not really to be able to poke holes in it.
0: And so it's still called a demonstration as well rather than just a project because you're demonstrating this is replicable that you could do this elsewhere.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, it's about demonstrating that it is replicable. And we've been working and talking with different developers over recent times and, and government bodies about helping them bring portions or their full next developments up to a similar standard.
0: Just outside when you're standing in this development in this new town, what does it feel like to you, Clint? For me, it feels quite
1: inviting. I live in Melbourne. I have for quite a while now um, when you're down there and our our real estate agents and our site manager would would attest to this when they're showing people around the site for the first time. And sometimes these are potential buyers. Sometimes they're just down to look at sustainable homes, look through our display houses because they're looking to build elsewhere. Often a neighbour might see them at the front, see them looking around, maybe see them looking lost, um, ask them If they need a hand if they want to come in for a cup of tea if they want to talk about their homes and that's really encouraging some of the design guidelines say that there's no front fences so it means that the whole estate feels quite open the swales that we have on the side of the road rather than a curb and channel where it just directs that stormwater runoff straight into our waterways before it's had a chance to pull some of the um, contaminants out kind of goes another step to making it feel quite open people of all ages walking on the paths, riding their scooters uh, on on the streets or their, or their bikes, people waving and saying hi. It gives a great feel to the place.
0: You mentioned all the people coming down to look at the homes, and of course the homes are probably the main draw of the development. So let's get into those. So the buildings at the Cape. There are 14 house designs available, and including one that's Victoria's first 10-star energy-rated home. So is that Australia or Victoria's first 10-star? It's Victoria's first 10-star. Yeah. Is that because there's a different metric we use in Victoria than the rest of Australia? Same metric, but there has been some done okay. elsewhere. Yeah, um, but these are the one-offs. Th- these are the one-offs, yeah. And what
1: the the builder there tried to do was incorporate uh, a bunch of other um, great outcomes as well. So got as close as possible to zero waste. They used a building biologist um, to reduce uh, EMF in the house um, and used zero or ultra-load toxicity materials, glues, bench tops, all that sort of stuff.
0: So for the hard question, Clint, which one would you pick? Well, I mean, we have 14 or so
1: house designs available on our website, but there's a lot more homes on site of the Cape, and most of them are custom designs. Working with some of our really skilled designers, I would probably take a piece from a lot of them. Mm. I think at the moment, two of the display homes that we have down there, the the 10-star, and I think my favorite part about that is implicit in the name. I mean, not having any mechanical heating or cooling is quite an achievement. To be comfortable year-round without uh, an AC on is is very impressive. The Core 9 is a bit of a crowd favourite. That was designed by Beaumont Concepts. It's picking up all the awards in Victoria and nationally at the moment. I won't try and give you the list of the awards because uh, it's too long and I'll forget some. It's a bit more technical. They've gone down and worked for quite a while even with Melbourne University. Looking at the proportion of wall to floor area, glazing north versus south facing and making sure there's the right amount of that for cross-flow ventilation. Positioning the thermal mass for optimal performance, that type of stuff. But I think the Cove is a pretty special one to me because it's a great example of how someone's designed a, a brand new sustainable passive home that suits their lifestyle. It's kind of shaped in a horseshoe sort of a shape, recognizing some of the prevailing coastal winds in the area coming from the west. And they've preserved this little courtyard in the middle so they can always, regardless of the weather, enjoy that outdoor space. So
0: you mentioned before about the 10-star home being this this kind of marvel and that, it, yeah, not a single bit of mechanical heating and cooling is applied to the building. So this interview's for Era On Air. We are self-confessed HVAC nerds here. We're always interested in the heating and the ventilation and the air conditioning of homes. So what happens for this industry with this 10-star home? How, how is this achieved in the 10-star home? No HVAC.
1: Okay, I should say that I'm definitely not an HVAC expert. It's achieved through passive design, so correct orientation, correct use of thermal mass, draft proofing and insulation, primarily. That home has a really interesting feature. It's called phase change material. And that's effectively like having more thermal mass. Kind of a viscous material that changes phase, so from a solid to a liquid, as it absorbs more heat. So that'll happen during the day in summer. More heat will come inside the house. Phase change material sits in a cell and it's installed in the ceiling and in the internal walls. Phase change material changes phase as it absorbs the energy during the day on a hot day. Then it releases that energy back out at night time and changes phase again to a solid, and that allows the temperature fluctuations to be reduced when you can open up the house and air it out at night when the cool coastal breeze comes through, releases that energy which flies out the window, and then they're ready to absorb some of that heat energy again in the morning. And in winter, it's the reverse. The Core 9 doesn't have any reverse cycle AC or any mechanical heating or cooling either. It's got a star rating just above 9, and it is plumbed so that it can have a reverse cycle split system put in quite easily. With active management of the occupants, you know, closing blinds and curtains and uh, opening windows, that sort of stuff, the builders and designers don't think it's required. Even without, as it's a display at the moment without people living in there, it's still a pretty comfortable temperature all year round with no active management. So, you know, when once you start to get above that nine mark, the requirement to have a split system AC, the requirement really drops away.
0: So outside of the homes, Clint, which sound amazing, like you'd never want to leave them or never have to, and then once you get outside, you got all the gardens and the orchard and the town square and this close-knit, like-minded community you're hoping to foster there or that's already happening, you do acknowledge that for some reason, at some point, for some short amount of time, people will want to leave this community. And it's probably not too wild a guess to say that the Cape would like to see more electric vehicles being used by the community members. Would that be accurate?
1: Definitely. I think you're onto something there. So the Capes Australia's first net zero carbon estate talks about stationary carbon. So we, and at the moment we produce far more electricity, power on site than we use. Homes using 80% less energy to heat and cool their homes or run their homes than a normal home. Plus they have quite generous solar systems on the roof in most cases. So we're averaging over four kilowatts on the roof. And that means this big surplus of clean energy at a time when EVs are really start, you know about to jump into the mainstream. I think we've got quite a number of models coming online this year in Australia. So we're going to see a, a transition that's quite rapid. And it's not surprising that they use quite a lot of power talk about using LEDs and energy-efficient appliances in the home, but if you're going to drive a few hundred kilometres, that uses a lot of power. So we're in this really perfect position where anybody who wants to have an EV or sees a future with EVs, perfectly situated to get free power from the roof to power the EVs. We've set up our estate so that all homes are wired for charges, and we've seen the first EV charges put in, and we've got solar car shades putting in place around the estate as well. So that's just a big a big shade structure that's covered in solar panels rather than having any other sort of cladding material. It's solar panel, which is generating power. Cars can park under there, get a free charge, and uh, get on moving.
0: You've essentially got the modern equivalent of a gas station sitting in the middle of this town, and yet it's an amenity and not a risk or an nice. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Clint. Cheers. Having recently been awarded the Excellence in Industry Leadership Award at the 2018 Urban Developer Awards, interest in the CAPE and its initiatives continues to grow nationwide. Stage 3 has recently been released, so if you like the sound of what you've heard, and how couldn't you, you might want to check it out fast. This type of industry leadership and pioneering is what really excites us at ERA, and it was such a pleasure to be able to bring you this story. We're not afraid to say that sustainability is a vital target to hit and we aren't there yet. So we thank Clint, Brendan, and the team at The Cape for their work and for letting us bring you this story. If you'd like to find out more about The Cape, you'll want to take a look at the February 2019 cover story of Equilibrium, ERA's official journal. Thank you so much for joining us. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, and we'll be back next month on the 13th of March with another episode.